Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Today on season two, episode five of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, I get to talk to Sean Forrest. Sean and I have been friends for many years. He began his ministry as a full-time youth minister back in Connecticut in 2000. But in 2007, something radically changed in his life when he went on a mission trip to Haiti and has since has done quite a bit. He is the co-founder of Haiti180.com. That's just Haiti180.com. And he has built an orphanage, a home for the elderly, a school. He's working on a medical clinic. It is fantastic. You talk about somebody who's truly doing something beautiful, and you're talking about a guy like Sean. I cannot wait for you to listen to this interview. We're going to talk in this first part, part one of my interview with Sean Forrest, about his pretty interesting background in the music business. And you'll hear about kind of what he used to do. He used to be a pretty, he's kind of a big deal. (laughs) He wouldn't say that, or maybe he would jokingly, actually, you'll, you'll find out the funny banter that we have back and forth. But we're going to talk about Sean's faith and how he went from a place of really having no faith at all to encountering God. And then from there, how God has brought him to the people of Haiti and making their world better and making our world better because of it. So enjoy this part one of my interview with Sean Forrest. Welcome back to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. This is episode five. And as I mentioned before, we get to talk to my good friend, Sean Forrest today. Sean, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm doing outstanding. Outstanding. That's better than me. I'm just great. You're outstanding. I'm actually just trying to motivate myself to make myself feel outstanding. I'm I'm so so. I'm all right. It's kind of miserable, but you know, if I tell myself I'm outstanding, I might believe it one day. Exactly. Positive thoughts. I like this. I like this. Okay. So now you and I, just to let everybody know that we've been friends for a while. We should, we should let people know that. Yes, yeah, so we can be a little weird. <laughs> we are weird. We, okay, Sean and I share a very sick and disturbing sense of humor. And we both found out that we shared this in the middle of a conference that we were working together about four years ago, I think. Four or yes. five years ago. <laughs> it was amazing. Because <laughs> you have to be careful. You have to be careful because... It takes you a while to find those people who have that sense of humor because you get, you know, for like three years, so you get people who just stare at you funny. And then finally that person who explodes laughing, you're like, I got one. Yeah. Right. It's like those are the people. It's usually in a room when something really awkward happens from like, I remember this in college and even later on when I was in the workforce being in like a, you know, committee meeting or being in a lecture and something really awkward happened. And the the usual response for people is just to ignore it and let the person kind of fumble around and, and get back to the point of where they're at. But for me, I would be looking around being like, oh, God, that was so funny. Oh, that was so great. And I'm like looking to my right and to my left, seeing if there's anybody smiling or like biting their cheeks to keep them from bursting out. And it's those people that I am attracted to. It's the people that are like, have that kind of immature at sometimes uh, sense of humor. Like if someone said poop on accident when they're trying to say something else, I'd be like, oh, God, that's 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 great. You know, (laughs) which is, you know, unfortunate that that is me. But that's just how it is. 
So I love it. Yes, that's what happened. So we were working at a conference four or five years ago, whatever it was. It was a Steubenville conference in Tucson, Arizona. Yes. And you were what, nine months pregnant? Oh, golly. I looked nine months pregnant. I think I was only six months pregnant or something. Oh, wait, no, Uh, no. I was like eight. You're right. I was really close. I'm one of those weird people that just like keeps going. Anyway, I probably shouldn't like and I get really, really large when I'm pregnant. And I'm not just saying that. Like anybody who's seen me pregnant, it's okay. You can admit it. You can tell it to my face. I know it. I am ginormous. Well, it depends on what you mean, because it's like if if I'm walking behind you and I'm going to say hi, I wouldn't even know you're pregnant. And all of a sudden you turn and you're like, hello. <laughs> Whoa, so this girl big. is pregnant. That girl is pregnant. Yeah, um, I am very, very big. I give, And so I think people were very concerned, especially like about six months on in my pregnancies, people. And I'm always asked every single time, are you having twins? I'm like. Nope. <laughs> There's just one in there. I give my babies like a full like suite. There's like a lot of space. They get a whole big old womb. Anyway, so I was really pregnant and we were working together at this conference and you had just found some video that you thought was hilarious on YouTube or something and you wanted to share it. And I think you went and you shared it with everybody else on our team on the ministry team and they some of them might have smiled or something but they didn't really engage the way that you were hoping and it was our first time working together and you and I noticed that you were showing this video and I'm like hey let me see it what do you have and I know you were like well I don't know and I'm like let me see yeah. it. <laughs> I was totally hesitant <laughs> to show you cuz I'm like all right oh, this is this girl is new at this conference with me wasn't that was that your first Doomville conference no, uh-uh. no, no, no. Oh, you, you done. So, all right. So it was just the first one we did together. And I was like, all right, all right. All right th- this is our first. She's new working with me. So I just don't want to wig her out. And it, it's nothing crazy. It's not a crazy video. It's just either you have that type of sense of humor or you don't. So, oh, your response just made my weekend. It was awesome. So you showed me this video. I literally was laughing so hard. My belly, you could see it shaking up and down. And then everyone was extremely nervous because I was laughing so hard. Oh my gosh. And I was getting ready to go on stage. And then you almost made me like pee my pants. So I had to go to the bathroom really quickly. And well, then- what scared me is you started holding your belly. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she's going into labor. She's <laughs> laughing so hard. I'm like, oh my goodness. It was just moving so much. I just needed to give it more support. You know, it's like yeah. I needed to have like a seatbelt around it while I was laughing. Well, anyways, so that's that's how we became friends pretty much. I just knew that was that was somebody in my life that God brought me in into my life to allow me to just laugh with. And so uh, it's been great. Laughter is really what brought us together and into our friendship. And it's been fantastic. I've been able to obviously hang out with you and your wife, Julie, and your three little babies, and um, which are not babies anymore. They're grown. And Ricky and I and the kids have been to visit you at your house and stayed weekends with you to hang out. So it's just been awesome. So because of all of that, there's an awesome side to you. First off, I want people to know, which I should have started this like minutes ago, but first off, who are you, right? So like Sean Forrest, Catholic speaker, musician, all this stuff. But before we get into the work that you've been doing in Haiti, can you just give people a quick, I don't want to embarrass you by some of this stuff. So why don't you just tell tell them who you are and um, kind of like give us a quick journey of how you like you came to faith because you you were pretty far from the Lord. 
<laughs> I was. I right? was. Well, yeah. You pagan? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really polite way to say it. That's awesome. You were kind of far. From, yeah, you were I was, very I was far. all the way in Jersey. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You were very far from the Lord. You were a terrible human. Can you tell me about that? <laughs> Somebody cancel this call. This is ridiculous. Um, well, the good news is I became holy about five years ago, so I am the, I'm I'm up for beatification. There you I'm go. I'm excited about that. My That's vote right. is in. Right. <laughs> I don't want to know your vote. <laughs> so I'm I'm just that classic story of the guy who went on the search to gather everything he could from this world, got it, and found out that it wasn't enough, and so went on another search to find out what was enough and came back to my roots of God. You know, my, my mom used to bring me to church as a kid, and that was kind of not a fun experience for me, but some of those seeds planted. So I went on this crazy search for God and started checking out all these different religions. And it's interesting. There's a lot of people who have like this incredible wow moment with Jesus where they're like, wow, he's my Lord. He's my savior. And they float 10 feet in the air and they're yeah. in ecstasy. That didn't happen to me. Um, <laughs> There's no fl- floating involved. Well, I'm large. Um, <laughs> so <that would've> been, <laughs> send more angels. Send more angels quickly. Um, for me, I have to say this. Well, I thought my way to faith and I thought my way to the Catholic Church. I had I asked some serious questions. I asked, does God really exist? All right, let's check that out. What's the science saying that? And then I started looking at the different religions. And then I narrowed them down to the monotheistic religions because I, the other ones I just didn't think could stand up to the test of science and all that. And then I found out about this, you know, went back to check out the Jesus claim. And so it's like, all right, if he's God, he built a church, I'm in. And that's, I kind of just thought my way there, if that makes sense. What you haven't mentioned is really what you were doing prior to coming to faith. I mean, would you have considered yourself an atheist before you before you came um, back, or or do you or would you like agnostic? I'm, or was there? I mean, I don't want to just use labels. I mean, like where were, were you when you were kind of living in the world and doing all that worldly jazz? I, well, I kind of had a tough childhood. Had some bad things happen. Pretty angry kid. So there were moments when I'd say I was an atheist, but I was just more angry at God. So I labeled atheist just to annoy God if he was there. But I would say I was more a lost searcher. No, I wasn't even searching. At one point, I was like, I hope there's a God. And I hope he's really cool because I'm living a really sinful life. But if he's really a God of love, I'll be OK. One of those guys. Mm. I was like a hippie. You know, I was like, whatever. It's all good. I'm a good person. I haven't killed anybody. I set the bar real low, you know, <laughs> like I'm going to heaven. I'm better than Hitler. It's like great comparison. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Yeah. It's one of those guys. So, yeah. So I just like this. All right, God's whoever, you know, whoever your God is, it's great. You know, uh, your God is your God. My God is my God. Just, the, you know, like these horrible, as I look back now, it's like I was these horrible f- philosophical errors I was making in my logic and reasoning. You know, I, mm-hmm. I just I, ma- I made God in my own image. Let's put it that way. Okay. So now you were a, you lived as a musician for, and worked as a musician for a long time. I did. I did. And that's when I fell apart because <laughs> I, uh, Music I, I did a, not save the world here for you, huh? 
No, it did not. It, I, it allowed me to encounter a lot of people that I wasn't spiritually ready to, because I really, my, the spirit was dead in me. I, well, not, I wasn't allowing the spirit to be alive in me. So yeah, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Yeah. And then, you know, after a while you, you know, it's, I think it's just a grace moment. You go, um, this isn't really all that it's cracked up to be. You right. know, after it's not working. 15, after 15 years of doing the same thing over and over again and not being happy, you start to say, um, you know, it's like the first three, four years, you're like, yeah, five years, yeah, 10 years. And you're like, uh, uh, okay. It's exhausting. I mean, I came to the realization, I know that you know it too, but like sin is exhausting. It is. It takes this massive toll on your life and your outlook, which, I mean, if you are in tune to the spiritual life at all, you would get this and you would know it. But sometimes it's easy to forget and we can become so exhausted. And a lot of times we just need to take a look at our life and be like, okay, so why am I so out of it? And it's usually because we haven't, we our order is out of order. You know, I mean, what we're doing and how we're spending our time and maybe even something as obvious like, are we indulging or in vice? And in those sins can really make a difference. Now, you were a musician for a long time and you kind of rub shoulders with a lot of celebrities and you did a lot of music for celebrities and their parties. That's correct, right? Yes. I started getting these pretty wild gigs of performing for celebrities and playing in New York City and Times Square in front of thousands of people. And it, it really started taking off. It was, it was pretty wild. Um, I mean, that's- I st- that's what mo- I mean. Don't you feel like? And I don't know. I'm not in the music biz. I kind of did the whole fashion and modeling thing, and it parallels very much. It's very very close, but at the same time, it's different. I just feel like everybody wants to be like the next Beyonce, like the next whatever. Like all these, and and there are these TV shows too with America's Next Top Model still on. But I mean, these shows for like everybody wanting to be like the star. Did you? F- feel that back then too that you like wanted this as much as it's so apparent now with all these reality tv shows did i want to be the next star right like did you like go into yeah did you go into obviously like you're very gifted and talented i've heard you sing i've heard you perform i have your cds of music all of it it's excellent you're very very good but like did you could you have, elaborate on that? <laughs> could you spend more time how amazing <laughs> i am let's, let, let's go back to that moment when you said i was great but seriously, but that but you are, and God's given you a lot of talent in that. And then you were doing that. You were out in, were you in New York mostly for this or in LA or both or everywhere? Where were you? East Coast. So I'd play like the ski resorts during the winter and then the beaches during the summer. And then just from performing out, you know, some of the bigger clubs, you know, famous people who ski would come in and see you and be like, hey, man, your show was great. Give me a call or or you'd get a call from somebody. I remember getting a call from the president of the Motion Picture Associations of America saying, we want you to host a show in New York City in wow. Times Square. And I was like, uh, okay. And then, <laughs> sure. And then from there, you know, I'm hanging out with some of the, the cast from MTV. And then they're like, hey, we want you to do this party. And I'm like, wow, things are starting to take off here. This is getting pretty crazy. Yeah. So you were playing for like A-list celebrities for their parties, which I think is Obviously, it sounds neat and amazing. What's also interesting is that there were some pretty big A-list musicians who are having you play at their parties at their homes, correct? Well, yeah. A lot would be, it would be more like a a fundraiser party. So, like, we did a big fundraiser out in the Hamptons in Long Island. So, they're like, so celebrities will have a cause, you know? So, there's one group, I won't mention the causes, but they had a cause and they'd have me come out and it's a, 
you know, um, the Baldwin, Alec and, and William Baldwin. And, you you know, you're on stage and, you know, Billy Joel's in the audience, Christy Brinkley, Timothy Hutton, Matthew Broderick, Marissa Tomei. And you're like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. You um, have to feel pretty good about yourself at that point, right? You do. I mean, like you when, you, when, when you're living for the world and you and I both have these experiences because like the music world and the fashion world, modeling world, they parallel each other quite a bit. And so when your goal is really to have the world, you know, validate you and in a sense, love you or whatever that is, pay your bills. That feels good in those moments when you feel like you've arrived or you've achieved something. Right. Well, I remember being young and seeing a Billy Joel concert. It was the first concert I ever went to. And I was like, I want to do that. And then you're talking to him. He's in the crowd and you're singing. And then you're like, this is pretty cool. I'm like, wow. Things could really start happening right now. So so you're feeling really good about yourself. I mean, at, at any point during this time, did you ever feel have like that empty feeling? I felt that so much in the middle of sometimes photo shoots for like, you know, big, big companies and magazines and designers. And I knew that I should be super happy and that my paycheck's going to be great. But there was like these moments that are intermingled within it for me personally. I I don't know, something would happen. It's like everybody would leave the room for a quick second and I just felt massively empty. Did that ever happen to you or you just kind of kept pushing through? Oh, I hated the night. I hated the night. I hated when everything ended and I was alone. I hated that feeling because it, it was a dread almost, an emptiness. That's why I'd like to party till four or five o'clock in the morning and then just pass out and then wake up and do it all over again. So I never had any downtime. I hated downtime because it made me start thinking and I didn't want to think about things that God was trying to get me to think about. Mm. God, that's so, you know, I think what you just said is incredibly important just in general. Like, and what today there's so much noise, right? Mm. We have so much noise. We have so much noise in our life. And that could be obviously things that are more obvious, like music and TV but just the noise of gossip and the noise of keeping ourselves busy with all these screens and these apps and just we busy ourselves so much. And I tell you something, the devil is sitting back laughing, laughing. It's oh, exactly what he wants. Absolutely. And I still struggle with it today. You know, it's real easy to sit down and watch six episodes of The Office instead of pray a rosary. Another now. reason why we're best <clears throat> friends. Absolutely. My struggle yeah. is The Office, too. It's like, and I love that show. We, like, I'm not even, I should have a whole podcast on how much, on like my favorite moments of that. Maybe we should do that at some point. Oh, <laughs> man. Yes, please. <laughs> for now. I, okay. I, okay, fine. I will mention one thing. Do you remember when Dwight has been, he has been allowed to be acting manager until a new manager was found for Dunder yep. Mifflin? And he is, he's got this like massive desk that's like a dictator desk that he's put in there. He's called his, his brother Moe's and he's told him about the news that he's the new acting manager. And yep. he, there's a, there's a line, there's a moment when Dwight is sitting there at the table. And I mentioned this because it really does relate back to what you're saying. And it relates back to so, I think so many people's lives. I felt this so many times and it was a lie to myself. But what Dwight says is, I will never be any happier than where I am right now. Like I have reached my fulfillment of happiness <laughs> being the acting manager of Dunder Mifflin. Mifflin Paper like, Company. Exactly. Like this is my <laughs> ultimate happiness. And so many times we, 
you know, we we put something on a pedestal, whatever it might be. Maybe it's like, I want to be a rock star. I want to be a musician. I want to be a fashion model. I want to be a doctor. I want whatever it is. But we put this as the ultimate of our happiness. I'm going to work my hardest to get to that moment because that is the highest amount of happiness I will achieve in life. And we just lower, we end up really lowering the bar for ourselves when we do that. Because as you know, I mean, you had it all. You were doing exactly what you set out to do as as a kid. And you were there and you still felt empty. I made a living performing music on stages in front of really big crowds. And I would say less than 5% of all musicians get to do that. I mean, it was everybody's dream. Unless you just really muffle your spirit and your heart completely, or, you know, it's, I've yet to meet anybody who's been in that field that long, who hasn't completely just fallen apart to pieces, who hasn't started asking bigger questions because it's just not enough. Yeah, you're right. It's not. So, all right. So you, this is kind of where you were. You had this moment of conversion or re- reversion back to your faith and you're kind of getting your life back in order. Let's fast forward to this point of where you're at now. You're the founder and president of Haiti 180, excuse me. And and that website is haiti180.com and I'll put all that information in the podcast notes for you so that you can check out what you're doing. All right. So you have founded this mission that is saving lives and you have all of these kids in a home, you've got an elderly home, you have all these things going on. How did you get from there, you know, from like this guy on stage who's living for himself <laughs> in the world to like, I'm going to go help these PE people in Haiti. I mean, I did it all happen? myself. I didn't need anybody. I became awesomeness <laughs> just by my own will. I'm, <laughs> I'm incredible. Do you hear that incredible listeners? Human. You can do it on your own. No, just kidding. I am. Um, Well, you know, I'm the co-founder because God blessed me by meeting the other co-founder who you affectionately know as Father Louis Morosny. Yes, Father Louis. You just love Father Louis. He's fantastic. He's one of the greatest people I've ever known in my entire life. Now, you met him before he was a priest. Yes. Yes, I did when he was just Louis Morosny. Good old Louis. Good old Louis. Yeah. So, you know, I get to that point and I'm going, I have my conversion and then I start reading a lot and you can't get around the scriptures without God talking about helping the poor. And it's kind of a big uh, deal to him, the poor. It really right? is. There is something about these poor. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, but I also, you know, I also use my intellect. I also know, you know, it's not, I'm not one of these, it's the social gospel. It doesn't matter about sin. Just give somebody a can of tuna fish and you're a saint. I get that, it, you know, man does not live by bread alone. So, I knew people were starving for the word of God everywhere. I've seen it. You know, uh, they might even be hungrier here in America than in Haiti, starving for the word. The faith there is absolutely incredible. But I remember a long time ago being a kid and seeing a commercial of this little girl starving in Africa. And it bothered me. I was about 12 years old, but I was like, what can I do? I'm 12. How can I help this kid? You know, then all of a sudden I got older. (laughs) All of a sudden just happened. All of a sudden. And I just, you know, that, that thing about helping the poor. I just, I hate loneliness. I've just always hated loneliness. And, you know, Mother Teresa says that's one of the greatest poverty is loneliness. And sometimes it's in the richest neighborhoods, too. But I, I just knew that I wanted to help the poorest of the poor. We have poor here and I don't take away from the poor here. But there's a poverty in different countries that we don't have here. Like we don't have a, a thousand people starving to death every day. 
we don't have people laying in garbage being eaten by rats and pigs. We don't have children, you know, fighting against rats and losing and then becoming their meals. I know that's graphic, but that's the reality of what's taking place. And I just said, how can I be a follower of Christ and know that some little girl just died and now is being feasted on by other animals and not do something about it? I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I'm all in. Either I'm completely in as being a follower of Christ. That doesn't mean sinless. My goodness, confession's my best friend. But as far as the works go, I have to be in. So my pastor said, hey, I told him, I said, I, I really feel called to work with the poorest of the poor. And he told me he was going to Haiti. And I went there 15 years ago on my first trip and uh, had a profound experience um, at an orphanage there that changed my life forever. I don't know if you want me to go into that. I can share it briefly. Yeah, actually, um, I do want to hear about this. Now, where, where were you exactly when this happened? I was in Connecticut then, and I was going to my church, St. Bart's, and my pastor said, hey, well, come over. I'm, I'm going to Haiti. And I was like, I'm going with you. Excellent. So two weeks later, I'm heading over to Haiti. And two events happened to me. The first one was I walked into this orphanage and I was excited to play with all the children and, and lift their spirits because I was Sean Forrest, the musician. I was going to make everybody happy. And um, that didn't happen. The kids, there were so many kids that were, how do I put this? The ratio of caretakers to the children in the orphanage was, it was not doable. There was 300 children and five caretakers what? and little and, and little children. So 300 kids um, or these Orphans, I guess. Yeah. You know, and five caretakers. Five. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're just trying to get food out and change diapers. So nobody plays with these kids from birth. So they just kind of lay there and they just, they look at you with what I call, I say, they have dead eyes. There's no life in their eyes. They just stare at you. So even when you put your hands out to hold them, they don't do any. They just look at you. And I remember one child was just hitting his head against the wall for stimulation. I was horrified. I was like, what is going on here? Because they'd never played. They just, you know, like children, you know, in in a hospital, you know, they've just been born or, you know, a child in in the NICU. If you feed them, but you don't, you know, that's why they let the mothers hold them with the, you know, through the sterile incubator and and rub their backs. Because if they don't get touched, they don't thrive. They start to die. We human beings need to be loved or we die. And these kids, so they were kind of just, they're being fed, but they were just dying um, mm. from loneliness. Even though they were surrounded by other orphans, they just hadn't been loved on as kids. So and that, and that just, gosh, I mean, that just speaks to so much of humanity today, though. I mean, we have billions of us walking around on this planet sometimes, but we're so disconnected. Right. Mother I know that's, said, it, yeah, I, mean, I know it's very different than what you're saying, but there's a parallel no, there. I think that, it's right on. I think it's spot on. Mother Teresa said her, I'm paraphrasing, but her most difficult mission, it was in New York City because of the loneliness, because you just be poor, you know, you're laying there on the side of the street and millions of people walking by and you're unnoticed. It's just like all these people who are not connected, but they're so close to each other, but completely oblivious to each other. Yeah. And I think that goes back to what even we were, there's got to be a connection to what we were talking about earlier with like the noise of the world, you know, of just we can become so busy with whatever that noise is for us, whatever we fill ourselves that keeps us busy from connecting with the people next to us. I mean, I remember this just recently. I went into a post office here in my town. I live in a very small town and I'm in line and I realize that everybody in front of me and everybody behind me, everybody's on their phone, either talking or 
texting or using an app, doing something, waiting to, you know, have their turn to mail something off at the post office. And it was just something small and simple. But I was just looking around being like, we're not even aware of the people in front of us or behind us or around us. Like just the normal eye contact that we used to make with one another of smiling and saying hello or good morning is like gone. And I'm like, what has happened to us? Like we're not even aware of that we're surrounded by other people and that we have this need to be connected. And I don't know, just kind of reminds me of what you're saying right now. Yeah, I mean, how can you help the poor, let alone care for anybody when your hood's up, your earphones are in, you're looking at a cell phone, you're walking by everybody. It's like you're not not really being open to anything at that point. You're just closed up in a shell. Yeah. So I'd seen this loneliness and this little boy got up and walked over and stood right in front of me. And I was like, wow, finally, one of the kids is interacting with me. And I went to pick him up, but the director touched me and said, don't touch this one because he's covered with scabies. And he turned him around. He had all these lesions on his back and just like they were oozing. And he's like, you can't touch him or you'll get sick. And I was like, oh, man, I feel so bad. So I, I remember petting him on the head and I was like, hey, buddy, how you doing? I started to walk by. And then I just stopped. It was just a grace moment. And God just basically said, so I'll wear your sins on a cross, but you won't pick me up because you're afraid of a rash. And it was a profound moment of mm-hmm. God saying, well, you were looking for the poor. Here they are. What now? Mm-hmm. And so I said, oh, man, I, you know, I'm all in. I can't say I'm going to do this and just pick and choose who I'm going to hug and love and befriend. So I picked the kid up and he hugged my neck so tight that I let go with my arms and he was just dangling and I started (laughs) swinging him back and forth and he just started laughing. And when he laughed, the other kids looked up and there was just a spark. And they all looked like they're like, whoa, this dude will hold us. And they all just ran at me. And I spent the day just hugging and playing with the kids. And I remember telling Julie it was the best I ever slept that night because it was just a complete outpouring of everything that I had. not wanting anything in return just to love these kids. And it was really profound. And that's when I just said to God, I said, hey, can you help me? I feel like I want to do something and I feel like you're inspiring it. But I, I know I can build an orphanage, too. And I go out and speak all over the country and these kids will get played with because I can bring people from all over the world from my speaking to come over. And that's what's happened. It's We have like this holding ministry. All the kids get hugged on. They get loved on. You've seen it. My, um, I mean, I just let me just I just want to like kind of pause here and go back to this moment where you realize that God's calling you to this very specific mission. And, you know, that's just I don't know. I think that that's something that we should probably just pay attention to a little bit more because God is calling us to participate in his mission. And he is calling us in a very specific way with and sometimes he calls us to outside of our country, you know, out into someplace else far away. And to help a certain group of people or a certain country, whatever it might be. And sometimes God calls us to help our community right down the road and the neighbor who literally lives next door, like their actual neighbor. Right. As any Hickman would say, you know, God calls us in a variety of different ways, but all of it is to participate in the life of Christ, which he poured out completely. And he's asking us to pour our life out as well so that we can be the hands and the feet of Christ. And I just, that's I don't know. It's awesome that you had this moment that we all can have that same moment if we give give God a chance to work in our life. You know, I was in, uh, we're in season two here of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. And on episode one of season two, 
I interviewed this amazing woman, Sean, you would love her. She's like, basically, she's the voice for pro-life Africa. And wow. Yeah. And so she was mentioning to me, Uju as her name, it's her nickname. And Uju was saying that she also had this moment where she was praying in World Youth Day about, she was at World Youth Day and she was just praying. So she said, Lord, just give me a mission. Give me a mission. And this was a very simple prayer. And it, and she prayed it and nothing substantial in a sense, like material wise happened from that. She prayed it and she let it kind of just go and let it just happen. And it unfolded basically a year later for her. And you can listen to that episode if you want to hear more about it. But she too, just like you, like she had this experience and God and she asked and was open for a mission from God. And then God gave it to her. And that's really what God was doing in your life at that moment. I mean, you were there, you were, God brought you through a variety of different ways to Haiti to meet his poor. And then he put it on your heart for this mission um, that was just beginning to start. You know, never before has that affected me with the Bible verse of where Jesus is talking about the seed that the sower went out to sow some seeds and the seed that fell on the ground, the ravens came and ate it up. So often we're inspired by God. And then the devil comes with distraction just to eat those seeds up so that we don't fall through with that inspiration, that little wow moment you have, Mm -hmm. that little moment when God, when you give God permission to have your attention just for a little bit and he plants a seed and, well, that's too hard. I can't, I'm too busy or this or that. So yeah, it's pretty neat. I thank God for giving me the grace to say, let's follow through with this. That's right. And with his grace, everything is possible. Amen. Amen. Because I look at this thing, Leah, honestly, I was talking to my brother and I go, this is ridiculous. I have no idea how to do any of this and it's up. I don't know how to build anything. I don't know how to manage anything. Uh, it's incredible. Yep. We know where every penny went. Everything's up and in this incredible, awesome operation. And I go, this is God because I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even close. Ask anybody who knows me. That's awesome. You know, and I think I want to take a break now and I just kind of like want to leave it here for this moment for this part one interview here with Sean, Sean Forrest and Haiti 180. And we're going to come back in part two. And we're going to hear more about what happened after this massive encounter that you had with the Lord and with his poor in Haiti and how Haiti 180 is now up and going and what you are doing and who you are helping and all the buildings you are building and the schools and the orphanage and the elderly home. We're going to go into that on part two of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. So stay with us. Go next to the next part two for episode five, season two of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. God love you. God bless and pray for us. 